Okay, I have four questions, and I have some candy. And I don't know if all the kids are candied out from the fair, but I have four questions, and I have some candy, and it's not a sucker. They're Twizzler Twist. And so I'm going to ask a question, and if whoever will come up, even if you're a big kid, doesn't matter what age you are, if you're willing to come up and answer a question, then I will give you a Twizzler. Understand? Okay, the very first question is, how do you prove that you love somebody? No, you got to come up here. Come up here. Ugh, I don't know. The word love and coming up here, I don't know. You married people better have this down. Okay, so I got three takers. Noah. Oh, I got four now. Okay, how do you prove that you love somebody? Spending a lot of time with them. Okay, we can't use all the answers. Okay, how do you prove that you love somebody? Like, let's say your mom. How do you prove you love your mom? Okay, so you're treating her with respect. Okay, good. How do you prove that you love somebody? By obeying your, okay, like your parents. Okay, and how do you prove that you love somebody? Sending them nice cards. Okay, good job. Okay, you guys can go. You guys think they love people if they do those things? Okay? No one said anything about hugging and kissing and... Oh, Leslie would have. Yeah, okay. Okay, my next question. School has started, and kids have tests. And you're, you're going to have tests this week, probably. You're going to sit there. I picture Caleb. He's taking his test, and he knows the answer to this test. How, how are you going to prove that you know the answer to a test? Very simple. Got to come up here. How are you going to prove that you know the answer to a test? Okay, Tegan, how are you going to prove that you know the answer to a test? You get it right. You get it right, but what do you do? Do you just think it in your mind? Yes. That's all you do. And you're, no, you're, you're, you have to put the problems together. You got you to put it down on paper. Yeah. Okay. How are you going to prove that you know the answer to a test? No, you don't tell the teacher. You write it down. How do you prove that you know the answer to a test? Uh, you study, but you don't know it. And the teacher's going to give you credit for studying? No, if you get it right. How do you get it right? By studying and memorizing. But how does the teacher know you have the right answer? You wrote it down. Good. How do, you, how do you prove you know the right answer on a test? You write it down. On the right paper. How do you know the answer for it? How do you... Prove that you know the answer on a test. You write it down. I told you this is easy. You write it. Okay. I'm going to run out of candy. Okay. Uh, this last week, and even yesterday, there was, it sounds like a fair in Mile City, or there was a lot of roller coaster rides. If your buddy says, I dare you to do it because you're scared, how do you prove that you are not too scared to go on a ride? This is easy. Adults, you can be. All right. How do you prove you're not too scared to go on a ride? You do it. You do it. How do you prove that you. Okay, my kids have. You do what? You do what? Okay, you write it and you don't puke. All right. Oh, you ask them to go on it with you. How do you prove that you're not too scared to go on a ride? How do you prove you're not too scared to go on a ride? Just say, do it. Just do it. Just do it. There you go. That guy's got it down. How do you prove that you're not too scared to go on a ride? No signs. 
No crying. How do you prove you're not too scared to go on a ride? Okay, how about you do it? How do you prove you're not too scared to go on a ride? You go on the ride. Okay. Now this next one's just a tad bit different. There's only, I only have three answers for this one. But how do you prove that you believe in Jesus? How do you prove that you believe in Jesus? Okay, I'm not, I'm not going to just accept every answer everybody gives me. I want a good answer. How do you prove, how do you prove that you believe in Jesus? Oh, number one answer that I had, you ask Jesus into your heart. You ask him to be your Savior. Sarah, how do you prove that you believe in Jesus? A different answer. You, okay, because why? You'll hear about Jesus in church, okay? How do you prove that you believe in Jesus? Okay, you, you just stand right there for a second, okay? Stay there. Okay, how do you prove that you believe in Jesus? Okay, you get baptized. Okay, go sit down. How do you prove that you believe in Jesus? Okay, that'll work. How do you prove, Caleb, that you believe in Jesus? Okay, go stand by Nick. How do you prove that you believe in Jesus? Okay, go stand over there. How do you prove that you believe in Jesus? You read the Bible, okay? Okay, because Jesus is in there. Okay, go have a seat. How do you prove that you believe in Jesus? You love him, so you believe, you, how do you love, how do you show that you love him? You By obeying what he says, go have a seat. How do you prove that you believe in Jesus? Okay, okay, see, go ahead. The reason I left these three up here is because they're very common repeat answers. Okay, the one answer, that, go, you take these and go sit down. The one answer that I had that they, nobody said is I'm going to, he does not get that from me, okay? Um, I didn't say... <laughs> the one answer that nobody gave that I was hoping to get was, if I believe in Jesus, I'm going to tell other people about Jesus, right? If I truly believe, I'm going to do something. Now, that was, that was a, lot, a lot more fun than I expected it to be, passing out all that candy. Uh, but this is a very simple lesson today uh, that we can find in Luke chapter 7. And the, the last verse, uh, verse 35, that we're going to look at is, Wisdom is proved right by her actions. What you believe is going to come out in your life. If I believe that I'm not too scared to ride this ride, it's going to show up. If I believe I love my wife, it's going to be seen in my actions. Now, when you have the word wisdom, is proved right by her actions. There's actually two different kinds of wisdom. There's the right way, which is God's wisdom. And there is the wrong way, which is man's wisdom. So there's two options. Man's wisdom is only an option because it's a direction that people go. But it is not the right answer. It is not the right direction to go. And hopefully we'll see that a little bit more as we go through this passage. So if you want to turn your Bibles to Luke chapter 7, we're going to read uh, verse 24 to 30. And we're going to look at the difference between God's wisdom versus man's wisdom. And how God's wisdom is proven and how man's wisdom is proven. Luke chapter 7, verses 24 to 30. It says, After John's messengers left, Jesus began to speak to the crowd about John. What did you go out into the desert to see? A reed swayed by the wind? If not, what did you go out to see? A man dressed in fine clothes? No, those who wear expensive clothes and those who indulge in luxury are in palaces. But what did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes, I tell you, and much more than a prophet. This is the one about whom it is written, 
I will send my messenger ahead of you, who will prepare the way before you. I tell you, among those born of women, there is no one greater than John, yet the one who is least in the kingdom of God is greater than he. Verse 29 says, All the people, even the tax collectors, when they heard Jesus' words, acknowledged that God's way was right because they had been baptized by John. Let's pray. Dear God, I thank you for your word. God, I thank you that you loved us. I, I, Romans 5.8 comes to mind just immediately. Uh, God demonstrates his love for us, and while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. God, you proved before we were around that you even loved us so much that you were willing to pay the price for our salvation. And I pray to you that you showed us that love. I pray that, God, you would be willing to live our lives as proof of your love and of your commitment to us, and we would live that life out in our everyday world, whether we're at school, whether we're at work, or, or wherever we end up being each day. I just pray again now for your words to come out of my mouth and for you to be blessed. In Jesus' name, amen. So Jesus starts off, he says, he's telling a, a large group, group of people, after John's messengers left, because last time, two weeks ago, Jesus is talking to John's disciples, because John is in a very sad and depressed situation. He is in jail and he cannot get to Jesus. And he's in a situation where he's, he's wondering, is this Jesus that I've been preaching, the real Jesus? The one that I've been trying to convince people of? Am I, am I going down the wrong path myself? Because he's in prison. So he sends his disciples to talk to Jesus and say, are you the one to come, or should we expect somebody else? And John, Jesus says, hey, you go tell John, this is what I've done. I've done all these miracles. I've healed the blind. I brought, uh, I've made people well, I've cast out demons, I've raised the dead. You just take comfort in what I've done and the power that I have, and that I have it all in control. And now he's turning and he's talking to this large group of people, and he says, first of all, what did you guys go out into the desert to see? Because there's this, there's, there's this large group of people. There's those who chose God's wisdom, those who have chose man's wisdom, but they all have the same starting point. Sure, there's people who come with already more knowledge than other people, because we don't all have the exact same amount of knowledge in our head. But they got all the exact same point of view with John the Baptist out in the desert. And Jesus says, what did you guys go out to the desert to see? Did you go out to see a reed swayed by the wind? Because that's out there. That's not that exciting. You go along the Jordan River, and there's some reeds, and it's like, okay, it's hot out here. Uh, it's, it's not comfortable terrain. There's sand. It's, it's just not a, a place I want to be. No, you guys didn't go out to the desert to see that. That's not, that's not special. Did you guys go out to see somebody who's wearing fine clothes, who looks good? You're not going to find those guys there. You're going to find those guys in the palace. You're going to find them with the, the, the females that's got the, the big fans that are trying to keep them comfortable. Here, I'm giving you drapes. I'm sitting in my chair. I'm telling everybody else what to do. He said, you're not going to find that out in the desert. I know what you guys went out to see. You guys went out to see John. Everybody of you went to see John. Some because you wanted to hear what he said, or what he was going to say, and some because you were skeptical, because you were curious as to what was going to come out of this guy's mouth. And he says, this guy John, that came, went out to the desert to preach, this guy, it says, uh, he was the prophet of prophets. Among those born of women, he was the best. Of all the prophets who have been there since the beginning of time, the best prophet, the, the most luckiest prophet there was, was John the Baptist, because he got a foretell Jesus is coming now. Everybody else was pointing Jesus is coming, but he was finally the guy who got to be there and say Jesus is here right now. So among prophets, he's the luckiest guy there ever was. But the least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than that. 
not because they did something more, because John the Baptist is going to be in heaven. When I get to heaven, it's, when I see John the Baptist, it's going to be like this great big crowd of people. He's going to have rewards beyond belief, and I'm going to get up there and it's going to be like, well, yeah, glad you made it too, and here's maybe a few little rewards. But it's not like because, uh, it's, it's not a position thing. It's the fact that John the Baptist, he got to do something here great on earth, but if you make it to heaven, being in heaven with God is far greater than anything that can be accomplished on earth. But these people looked at John the Baptist and said, wow, this guy is someone that's amazing. And then he says, all the people, even the tax collectors, when they heard that Jesus' words, they acknowledged that God's way was right because they had been baptized by John. They heard the word that Jesus said, or that John said, and they accepted it. They said, yeah, I think that's true. I am a sinner. Jesus has come to, uh, to, to be the Savior of the world. I need that. They accepted it. They acknowledged that it was right. And there were all sorts of people who did that. Uh, there were soldiers. There were people just like you and I, just regular people. There were the outcasts who had the guts to get there. But there was also uh, tax collectors and sinners that came to hear the message of Jesus. But I imagine there were people who stayed home. There were people who were afraid to go hear what John said because they did not want to be embarrassed. They, didn't want to, they thought maybe they had done things that they were too bad, that, that Jesus could not forgive, that the message that John is preaching was not for them, and so they did not want to go. The, the worst thing they brought up was the tax collector. Now, we might look at that and think, really, that's no big deal. The tax collector, if you remember Matthew, he was a disciple of Jesus, and he was a tax collector. Now, tax collectors, like Matthew was a Jewish man, and he was collecting taxes for the Gentile government, the Roman government, which is like working for the enemy. And that's bad. You're working for the enemy. We don't like that. How many here like to pay taxes? You know, if you're paying taxes, you're paying like the bare minimum on taxes. But the, the tax collectors could say, hey, you know what? There's, it's $14 instead of $12. It's $88 instead of $60. And whatever else they could collect, they got to keep. And so everybody despises these, these people. They don't know if they're telling the truth. They don't know if, if they're getting ripped off. And so they did not like the tax collectors, but it says even the tax collectors came to Jesus and they acknowledged that Jesus' words were right and they were baptized. Now, like I said, you might look and say, whoop-de-doo, you know, tax collecting is really not big, that big a deal. But Jesus came into this world to save sinners. Jesus came to save even me. Sure, the variety of sins have changed over time. Back then, they did not have cars to go speeding. They did not have the internet. They did not have uh, the TV. They had all, they, we have way more access to sin, it seems like, than they did. And we can look and say, man, what I have done doesn't compare to that. That's, that's like little kid stuff compared to the big bad sins that I've committed. But please listen to me. The sin that he committed in being a tax collector, and like, now it wasn't a sin to be a tax collector, but the sin he did in cheating people, is as bad as the sin that we do. And it, it wants the same verse of Romans 3.23, for all have sinned. It doesn't matter if it's something that you compare to be this little, like I stole or I lied or I cheated on my taxes one time, or I did something that people say, wow, this is big. This is committing adultery. This is frauding a bank. You know, there's, I, I killed somebody. Yeah, those are major sins, but James 2.10 says, if you keep the whole law, you do everything exactly right that you're supposed to, but you break one little law, guess what? In God's sight, 
you're guilty of breaking it all. And James brings up the examples of committing adultery and murder. If you have not committed adultery, but you have committed murder, guess what? You're guilty of both of those. So there's nobody who can point and say, yeah, you're worse than me, because we're all guilty before God. We all need Jesus just the same. So please, and, and Paul, in 1 Timothy 1, verses 15 and 16, you know, Paul became the world's greatest missionary. But before that point, these are how he described himself. He says, this is a trustworthy saying that is worthy of full acceptance. Christ came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the worst. But for this very reason, I was shown mercy, so that in me, the worst of sinners, Christ might display his perfect patience as an example to those who would believe in him for eternal life. Paul is saying, you know what? It doesn't matter what you've done. It is not as bad as what I've done. I'm the, the bottom of the bottom, or I'm the worst of the worst. Anything that you have done does not compare. It doesn't matter what you think. And if God can save me, he can save you. God can save Josh McLaughlin standing up here because he can save Paul. That's what Paul is saying. So please, hear these words from God's word. You need a savior. You have sinned, and, you, and because you sinned, you deserve to be tormented in hell forever. And that is not a pretty picture. It is never going to stop. It's going to be miserable. It's going to go on and on forever. But hear these words that Jesus died on the cross to pay for those sins so that you can have eternal life. Don't believe the lie that I'm, I'm too bad. I'm too far gone. I've heard that, that before. It's not true. As long as you're living and breathing, if you need Jesus, you can get saved. But don't believe the lie that the world says that, oh, you're not that bad. It's really not that bad what you did. Because if you've broken one, you, will, you have broken them all. It is not going to work. So all these people, all these people that Jesus is talking to, there are those who chose God's wisdom, and there's those who chose the world's wisdom. And what they, they did, both sides proved it. The, the, those who followed God's wisdom, they proved it. They were baptized. Now the word baptized is... It's a picture of taking a shirt, take my shirt, and dunk it into something. And it, when it comes out, it is a different color. If I have red dye, it goes in. It comes out as, as something completely different. People were baptized. They were dunked in the water, and they were brought back out. And it signifies something very important. It was a public demonstration of a faith that they had. When you're buried in, in the water, when you're dunked under water, it's representative of Jesus dying and being buried and stuck in the, in the tomb, and he was dead, and you come back out to live a new life. So I'm no longer living for myself. I'm going to put Jesus as Lord of my life, and I'm going to live for him. And it's a public thing that you're telling every single person who is there, I believe in Jesus. I have trusted him as my Savior, and I'm making a commitment today in front of everybody that this is true. So I want to talk a few minutes about baptism. I have a few facts. First of all, Baptism is not a means of salvation. Anybody who's relying on the fact that I was baptized as a baby or I was baptized when I was 15 or when I was 25, it is not going to save you. John 14, 6 says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. Not by baptism, not by going to church, not by helping people, only by Jesus. And I know that baptism doesn't save you because that's a work. That's something that you can do to help yourself. Ephesians 2, 8, 9 says, For by grace are you saved through faith. It's by faith, not by works, so that no one can boast. I can't, if I could get saved by being baptized, I could get to heaven and say, well, it's a good thing that Sharon believed in Jesus, but I didn't need that. 
because I got baptized. That was all it took. I could boast about how I got myself there, but I can't because works don't save you. Titus 3, 5 says, not by works of righteousness, which we have done. It's a good thing to be baptized, but it's not going to save you. It's got to be through Jesus. But also, baptism does not keep you out of heaven. It does not keep you there. It's not an excuse not to do it, but it does not keep you out of heaven. I know that because there was a thief on a cross who died the same time Jesus did. And he's hanging up there, and while he's up there, he realizes that Jesus is right. And he says, Lord, remember me when you get to heaven. And Jesus says, today you'll be with me in paradise. It wasn't like, oh, good luck. You get down off the cross and you get baptized, and then you can come up. That guy would have been screaming, get me off this cross, throw some water on me, I want to be baptized. And those people would have said, tough luck, man. You can go to hell and get what you deserve. So that just proves that baptism does not save you. But baptism is not an option. I mean, sure, it's an option the way you walk through the door today, right? No one drug you by the collar. Uh, when you guys ate breakfast this morning or you got dressed, it's something you chose to do. Jesus is not going to come and grab Josh by the collar, throw him in the water, hold him down so he can hardly breathe, and let him back out again and say, okay, finally you're baptized. It's an option because you have to take the step to do it. But it's something that we are called to do. Now, there was a teen in my youth group. Great kid. I mean, if, if, you knew, if there was somebody who knew the Bible and tried to live it out in almost every area of life, it was this kid. It's a kid who gets on, uh, he, he plays on the computer, he, gets, he has some kind of Bible verse for a name. So when you get online, uh, it's a way to connect with people. They say, well, what's such and such verse says? And he uses it as opportunities to share the gospel. We've had discussions on text. How do I answer, kind of lose my salvation? How do I do this? How do I argue this kind of point? Because he wants to let people know what Jesus' word says. He wants them to get saved. But for some reason, this kid had a funny view about baptism. So he says, I don't feel like God's calling me to be baptized yet. And it's like, well, I didn't feel like telling you the truth today either. I didn't feel like coming to church. I didn't feel like reading my Bible. It's not something that you necessarily feel like, man, I just feel like God's calling me to be baptized. It's an it's a act of obedience. When Jesus says, uh, believe and be baptized, it's something that we're called to do. There was this, I know people don't do it because they're scared to do it. Uh, before we left Oregon, uh, Leslie's grandpa, he was in a wheelchair because he had ALS, and he was, he'd just been hounding this guy who, who was saved. He says, you've got to get baptized. It's an important step of faith. And this guy was so shy that he never got married. He lived with his sisters. If a girl looked at him, he was, he was going to handle it. Couldn't even eye contact, which is a shame because it's nice, right? Men, if you like, it's nice to... Um, during handshaking time, he'd go hide in the bathroom because he just could not handle people. He was so completely shy. Finally, he got baptized. They, they did it like the day before they left. There's like the pastor and a deacon and this guy. And they, they, he got baptized. But that's the excuse people have because they are so scared. And when I was 11, I got baptized. It was down at the river. And I was scared. I know exactly what it feels like. I was standing out there. My dad is baptizing me. Everybody has known me for the last two years, out in Davenport, or three years. Nobody's like, boy, I doubt that guy is saved. Nobody's judgmental, anything. I'm out there about in tears, scared to death. I know exactly what to say and what to do, and I'm just scared. And my dad knows Ask, do you know Jesus Christ as your Savior? Yes. I mean, just about to run away, you know, scared. And then it's like, well, why do you need to be baptized? Because that's kind of what the Bible says, that if you believe you should be baptized. And so I was, and I, I, I gave a confession of faith, and I was baptized. But I was scared to death. 
It doesn't maybe look like it. I'm up here cracking corny jokes. But I was scared to death. But it's not a choice. Baptism is, is a command. Jesus did it, not because he needed it to show repentance, because Jesus never did anything wrong, but he left it as an example for us to follow. And if Jesus did it, guess what? We probably better do the same thing. And when, when Jesus says in Matthew 28, 19, go into all the world and share the gospel with them, baptize them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. So it's a command. Everybody kind of gets the clue that this is a really big deal. So let me ask you a question. Have you trusted Jesus Christ as a Savior? Because baptism does absolutely nothing for you if you have not trusted Jesus Christ as a Savior. And if you have, have you been baptized? You know, I, I come here with a clean slate. And I look around and I, I say, I know, of, I know of four people besides myself that I know are baptized. My wife and my son Noah are baptized. I know that Selena was baptized, I believe, last year, and Nick was baptized in sandstone because I heard he made a big fuss. That's where he wanted to be baptized. Was anybody else in here baptized? Okay, there you go. Right there. Sophie was baptized. But you guys know something that I don't know. So if you have not been baptized, why not? Is it because you haven't had opportunity to? That's, yeah, Caleb could say that because we didn't let him yet because we want to make sure that he understood a little bit more than he does. But that's true. Caleb has not been baptized. But I think next time we have a baptism, I'm going to dunk him under the water. But have you, is it because you haven't had opportunity to? Well, it's really easy. Sandstone, you know, it's like 95 degrees out there. We could go to Sandstone and do a baptism. There's this really cool baptistry up here. I've never been in a baptistry with a pool of water before. I've been in the river, but I've never been in one of those. There's an option to do it if you want to do it January 1st. You can do it inside. Is it because you're too scared to do it? Maybe you say, you know what, I got saved a long time ago, and my life is not quite measured up to what it's supposed to be. Everybody around here can look and say, you know what, Josh did this. He says he's a Christian, but he's done this or that. That's a bummer. But, you know, part of being baptized is a public de demonstration that I'm going to try to live for the Lord. And, sure, the past is the past. You can't do anything about it. But from this point on, and it does help you. If you publicly de declare your faith in front of people, when you see those people, it's going to help you keep on your toes. And no one likes that, but it's going to help with that. Or is it just because you're too afraid to get up and stand in front of people? Now, I'll tell you, I'll make it really simple. I'll tell you exactly, if someone, because after the service, I'm going to say, hey, if anybody wants to be baptized, please come up here and talk to me about it. I'm not going to go back there. I'm just going to come up here. Maybe it feels awkward because you know everybody else is going to know. I don't know what to tell you. Just please come and talk to me. If you feel like you can't do that, talk to me somewhere else. But the way, the way it will work is I'm going to say, hey, Leslie, have you trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior? And she'll say, yes, I have. Okay, that's the first question. That's true or false. Okay, it's very easy. The second one, I'll say, can you tell me about when you accepted Christ as your Savior? I mean, what made you have a need for it? What made you think you really, uh, what was it kind of the story that got you there? And that's it. And then when you're standing up here, or, or up there, or at the lake, I'm going to say, hey, Caleb, have you trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior? Yes, Dad, I have. Well, why, why did you need to, what makes you think you need to be baptized? Or when did you come to know Christ as your Savior? And then you'll say it to everybody else. It's that simple. Now you say, I am not doing that in front of everybody. There is no way in the whole world. Well, let me let you know that those are two things you're supposed to be doing anyway. If you're a Christian, you should tell people about it, and you should share the gospel with other people. 
So it's a good practice time to get up here and do it in front of us, but it's something we should be doing in front of other people anyway. That's another command that God has given us to do. So I would encourage you, if you have not been baptized, please be baptized. Please, please talk to me, talk to one of the deacons, and we'll work it out. If you want to go to the river, if you want to do it here, but to be baptized. These people proved they believe in Jesus. Wisdom was proved right by their actions. They, they said they believed it, and they were baptized, and they showed that they were true, truly following what God had wanted them to do. So if God's wisdom can be proven by action, guess what? Man's wisdom can be proven by action as well. Or I will call it man's folly. Because man has their great big brains and his lofty ideas and, and logic that I can't even comprehend. I mean, I was even thinking about, you know what, I don't even know how a, a little gas engine works. I have no idea. And to think, that's the difference between me and the people who built uh, space rockets that went to the moon. I mean, that's how much the, the intelligence difference there is between me and people who are really, really smart. I can't even figure that out. And that's what they can do. So there's a big, huge difference. That's the difference between God's wisdom versus man's wisdom. They just do not compare. And so the other group, the people who said, you know what, I don't want God's wisdom, let's read about them. They're called the Pharisees and the teachers of the law. Verse 30 says, but the Pharisees and the experts in the law rejected God's purpose for themselves because they had not been baptized by John. They said, I don't believe that, so obviously they're not going to be baptized. They are not about fooling people. They're going to try to live what they say they believe. And so Jesus says, to what can I compare this generation? What are they like? They are like children sitting in the marketplace and calling out to each other. We played a flute for you and you did not dance. We sang a dirge and you did not cry. For John, the Baptist came neither eating or drinking wine, and you say, he has a demon. The Son of Man came eating and drinking, and you say, here's a glutton and a, gl a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. Verse 35, but wisdom is proved right by her actions. Now the Pharisees, these were the most good-looking, by good meaning by the deeds that they did. They looked like they were had it all together. They were following the law. They were trying to persuade other people to do the same thing. But Jesus has described these people as whitewashed tombs. They look good. I mean, a tomb on the outside looks really good. You can get it whitewashed and clean and pressure washed and make it really nice. But what's on the inside? It doesn't matter who it is. It stinks. There's dead bones. There's rotting flesh. It's terrible. And that's exactly what these Pharisees were like. And, uh, in Matthew chapter, I think it's 4, or 5 verse, I think 20, he says, if your righteousness does not surpass these guys, you are not going to get to heaven based off of your righteousness. The Pharisees are, and the teachers of the law are not going to make it based off of what they did. And if you're going to try, you better outdo those guys. And they can't even do it. So it's not even possible. The teachers of the law, those were, the, uh, I looked up and there were 613 laws in the Old Testament. Now let's compare that with uh, the Ten Commandments. I was, I've been trying to sing this Ten Commandments song in my head all morning. There's ten of them. How many people can name all Ten Commandments? I know, okay, we have a few people, okay. I, I can't go down the list and name Ten Commandments. I know on the right side of my Bible, thou shalt not kill, thou shalt not steal. Thou shalt not commit adultery, thou shalt obey your parents, but that's not even in the right order. And that's only ten. These guys were experts. They didn't just know the law. And let me tell you, if you want to read about the law, read through Leviticus. That has lots of crazy laws and lots of different things that how in the world would you know all that? But these guys said, hey, that's what I'm going to rely on 
That's what's important. And they proved it by the way they lived their life. And they thought, I mean, these guys were too smart for their own good. They got to the point where, I don't need God because look what I can do. And that's the way man's wisdom works. In 1 Corinthians verses 1, uh, verses 18 to 25, it talks about the difference between man's wisdom and God's wisdom. It's verse 18 says, For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. The message of Jesus dying on the cross to pay for your sins, for those who don't accept it, they think it's foolish. They don't, hey, that can't be true. Jesus didn't really die. There's, there's not really a need for me to trust him as my Savior. But to those, for those of us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise. They think this is something great. I'm going to destroy that. That is not going to last. The intelligence of the intelligent I will frustrate. Verse 20 says, where is the wise man? Where is the scholar? Where is the philosopher of the sage? People who could battle it at will and defeat people based off of what they say. It says, has not God made foolish the wisdom of this world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world through its wisdom did not know him. The world, the world, the world looks at and says, I mean, it, they, they get to the moon, they can try to count stars, they can do amazing medical discoveries and, and heal, uh, surgeries, but they look at all that and they think, man, look what I can do. That's all pointing the natural world, Psalms 19, 1 through 4. The natural world is pointing to the fact that God is there. But the world and its wisdom says, no, look what I did. Look how amazing I am. It wasn't God, it was me. And so God was pleased through the foolishness of what was preached to save those who believe. It's foolish to the world, but God says, that's the tool, that's the key. You want to get to heaven? It's not based off of what you know, it's not based off of what you can do. It's based off of Jesus that's going to get you to heaven. There's Jews who look for, who demand miraculous signs. There were lots of Pharisees we've seen where they saw Jesus uh, give sight back to the blind. And all they could do was whine that it was on a Sabbath. They weren't taking the fact that Jesus was doing these miracles and saying, yes, Jesus, you are real. Around the whole, uh, I was talking with Pastor Joe on Friday about there's tons of proofs uh, that uh, the different cultures and the different things that happened in the Old Testament really happened. Uh, there's a Jewish historian named Josephus. You want some dry reading, but some good reading about the history of, that coincides with the Bible. I have a book up there you can borrow that helps to prove Jesus really was a man on earth. Jesus really did die on the cross. The, the, the events of Egypt and of uh, the Romans and of, of being captive in Assyria and Babylon, those things can all be proven from history. But people look and say, no, that's not true, that can't be true, it's just coincidence. So man in his wisdom says, I can't believe that, I won't believe that. And Jesus compares these group of people to a bunch of kids that are sitting around, they're playing their musical instruments, they're, they're playing the flute so that people can, they will get up and dance, and they're singing, playing dirges so people will get up and, and cry, like as in a wedding, or not a wedding, you don't cry at weddings, sorry, uh, funeral. And, and these kids, are, they're whining. And the, the, a commentary I looked at says, this is like the parable of the spoiled brats. The Pharisees are like the people who are just complaining that Jesus is not doing what they want them to do. A couple weeks ago, I said, blessed is the man who does not fall on the way of, on the count of Jesus. We look at the fact that Jesus was not doing what they wanted. It's easy for a man to do that because Jesus doesn't heal people when I want him to heal people. Jesus doesn't give me the job that I want. Jesus didn't make that girl fall in love with me. Jesus didn't raise somebody that I love from the dead. And they, they, get, they make all these excuses. But Jesus has something bigger in mind. But the Pharisees were just whining and whining and complaining. Because they said, you know what, John? 
Jesus is telling him, no, John the Baptist came. He preached the message. He didn't drink, and he did not eat. And they said, this guy is filled with a demon. So Jesus is there. He eats and he drinks. They say, look, he's eating and drinking with tax collectors and sinners. They were making excuses. They were not trying to follow Jesus. They're just making excuses for why they could not follow him. And the world is much like that today. People make excuses all the time for why they can't follow Jesus. They won't look at, at what he did. They'll just make excuses for why they won't follow him. One is, is again, John 14, 6. They don't like the fact that Jesus says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. They say that's narrow-minded. That's not fair. What about all those other people? Don't all roads lead to Rome? Don't all roads get you to heaven? But Jesus says there's only one way. Jesus died on the cross. I think he has the right to make up his mind as to how you're going to get there. People say, well, God loves persecutions and hardships in the world. And, and God's not answering my prayers, and he's not making everything right. You know, I, I know someone in, in my life that it's kind of at their wit's end because bad thing after bad thing just keeps happening. And what, I don't even know if God's real. I don't know if God, because he's not answering my prayers. He's not making things right. But I want to tell this person, I want you to think back on your life. When everything was going fine, were you calling out to God then? Were you, were you praising God? Were you trying to walk with God? And I look at this person's life and say, no, they weren't. They still did exactly the same thing, but now life stinks. Life is really rough, and it's like, it, it doesn't seem fair, but it should at least match up. And, and God is not just here to be our genie in a bottle to try to make things right. You've got to make sure that we're following him. So even when bad things come, people say, you know what? There are people who are suffering. There's, people, there's little kids who die. There's, there's that great big storm in Texas. There, you know, there's just day after day, you get on the news, and there's just stress after stress and horror after horror. And people say, because God allowed that, I'm not going to believe in it. Skip the, the fact that Jesus died a horrible death on a cross so that we could have eternal life. They just look and say, Jesus is not doing this, and so I'm not going to believe him. People look and say, you know what? There's too many hypocrites in the church. I've been burned in the past because someone has done X, Y, Z. They, they were not fair in their dealings at work, or they were not honest, or they said something they didn't say, or they did not live up to what they preached. And people make that big excuse for why they're not going to follow Jesus. And I challenge you, if you are that person or you know somebody, is don't, don't let your eternity rest on somebody else. It's your eternity. You're going to spend eternity in hell with the devil or by however that works in torment, or you're going to spend eternity with God. God's not going to care what anybody else did to encourage you or keep you from heaven. It's your, and it comes down to it being your choice. Are you going to follow God's wisdom, even though it's foolishness to the world, and say, Jesus, you say this is how I'm going to get to heaven, and I trust you to be my Savior? Or are you going to say, you know what? The majority is right. The world says all roads lead to heaven. It really doesn't matter what you believe, and I'm just going to believe whatever I want and assume it's going to be good enough. Because I guarantee you, it will be too late by the time you realize it. When you get to heaven and you're standing there before God, it's going to be too late. Everything that you have, and I think of the Pharisees, everything that they had that they thought, I'm good enough, I've done enough, as soon as they see God, it's all going to melt away. It's going to be like, uh-oh, I, I wasn't good enough. The things I was relying on was not enough to get me there. But it's your choice. But let me tell you, today is the day of salvation. We don't know what day is promised to us. Don't say someday... I'll trust Jesus as my Savior. Don't say someday I'll be baptized. Don't say someday I'll get my, day, my life right, because that is not a day of the week. It is not going to come. 
Someday it's going to be here and be gone before you know it. Today's this day of salvation. Wisdom is proved right by her actions. Trust Jesus Christ as your Savior. With a little bit of faith, if it's as faith as small as a mustard seed, say, Jesus, that's all I got, but I'm giving it to you. I put my faith in you. I'm going to stand up here, like I said, I'm going to stand up here. If you want to accept Jesus Christ as your Savior, I can help you do that. Or you can just pray in your chair and say, hey, Jesus, I need you. If you need to be baptized, as hard as it is to get out of that pew and walk up here, I challenge you, come up here and let's talk about it. And if your life has not been right the way it should be, you've been following the wisdom, world, the wisdom of the world versus God's wisdom, I challenge you to say, okay, today is a new day. I can't do anything about what's in the past. I have to start from this point on, and I've got to live for the Lord. I challenge you to do those things and have the courage to take the steps to do those. Wisdom is proved right by our actions. Choose God's wisdom and not man's wisdom. Let's pray. Dear God, I thank you for this day. God, I thank you that today can be the day of salvation. God, that you have not given up on us, that you have not walked away, that you still love us, that you showed us that you loved us by giving us eternal life. Uh, Romans 5, 8, you demonstrated that love while we were still sinners. God, before we deserved it, we didn't do anything to deserve your salvation, but you gave what it took for us to have it. So I pray that each of us would take advantage of that. God, I pray for courage for anybody who needs to be baptized, to have that public declaration of faith, that they would take the steps to do that. And I, God, I just pray that if anybody here has not been walking in your wisdom, but has been walking in the wisdom of this world, I pray that you would just convict them of that.